Blog Talk Radio. Radio show and the intention of the show is to empower and inspire you to manifest the life of your dreams, whether it's radiant health, prosperity, loving relationships, or simply peace of mind. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm your host, Dr. Karen Can, author of the number one bestseller, Guide to Healing Chronic Pain, A Holistic Approach. If you don't have a copy of my book, you can get the first six chapters as a free download as well as the whole table of contents, of course, from my website just by signing up for my mailing list. Just go to www.karencan.com. Dot com And then when you put your email and name in there, I'll actually send you a link to get five of my Fast Track Your Healing webinar classes absolutely free as well as my gift to you. And um, so uh, please, please, please join me on my website. I'm also, you know, connected to Facebook and Pinterest and the whole bit. I'm probably the most active on Facebook. So if you want to know the latest news, you know, or how I did on my skating show yesterday, you'll see it on Facebook. So. <laughs> Uh, but today um, it's going to be fun, very, very fun, because uh, it's been a while now. I've been wanting to um, get the folks, uh, you know, from th- this wonderful place, the Center for Nonviolent Communication, on the show, because you know one of the missions that I have is really connecting people to each other and having, supporting them and having loving relationships. And I know how difficult it is sometimes to know how to communicate. So many people say. I have trouble communicating or my husband doesn't communicate or my I don't know how to talk to my kids or we always get into a fight. And How common is that? I mean, that is a very common human experience not to be able to communicate well. And I worked really, really hard, you know, um, to, to communicate and learn to communicate because I was really shy as a child and pretty much, you know, verbally shut down. I was scared to death, really, of, of talking and, and speaking and, and sharing how I feel. And so I have trained so hard in this, and it's really made a huge difference in my relationships, and I keep working on it. And when I heard about the work of um, Marshall Rosenberg and nonviolent communication and heard some training calls, I was so impressed and amazed by the languaging that they were using, especially talking to kids, young kids even, um, and even though I you know, haven't studied it in great detail, just that little bit of training and learning has helped me immensely. So, in, you know, instead of, you know, asking, you know, one of my child patients why they were, mis- you know, instead of saying, well, you were misbehaving, that was bad or good, or, you know, judging it somehow, you know, I asked them how they felt about something. And, uh, like, for example, one of my, um, you know, teen kids um, recently, I just, you know, brand new person, I didn't really know her, but she looked a little dark, and um, I had a suspicion that she probably is very, very sensitive. And so I just asked her, is there anything you saw or heard when you were a child that other people couldn't see or hear? And her big, you know, eyes got really big. And she was like, oh, my God. She's like, I saw spirits. And I'm like, oh, really? Well, can you tell me what that's like? And, you know, and then it was like, well, how did, and what happened to, what happened when you told your mother? And she was, well, you know, she was saying, well, it's okay. And she didn't really do anything. And I said, so it sounds like you felt a little upset, is that true? And she's like, well, yeah, I didn't feel like she was validating me. And I said, well, can you understand maybe why? Because 
you know, do you think your mom was trying her best? She's like, well, I guess so. I guess I wouldn't have known what to do either as a mom. And so it was really cool to have her and mom in the room and for them to kind of see how each other felt in that situation and just understand that each were doing the best they could at the time with the information that they had. And so now we can say, well, what would you have wanted, you know, your mom or dad to do? And she said, I would have wanted my mom to ask me more questions about it. I'm like, really? Oh, that's really interesting. That's exactly what I would have wanted her to do, too. So I would have wanted her to maybe say, you know, what was it like? How did you feel when you saw this ghost? You know, um, and, and, you know, but of course, mom didn't know those things, but now she does. And so it was just really amazing how it opened up the relationship um, between the two of them. And it didn't have to be this incredible, um, you know, struggle even though it was a very sensitive topic. So I'm so thrilled to have one of the certified trainers from the Nonviolent Communication with me today, uh, Roberta Wall, to talk about nonviolent communication, how we can all do this better. And I really think that having these skills is really going to save the world. I know this sounds really dramatic, but seriously, I mean, we really need to learn these skills, and it's not hard. And gosh, you know what? It starts being really fun. So, Roberta, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Karen. I'm I'm already so excited just listening to what you just shared about how important communication is to you and how hard it was for you Mm -hmm. and how you really put yourself to it. And I'm just excited to be with you. (laughs) Thank you. Likewise. Well, let's talk a little bit about first your background, just how did you get interested in this work, because obviously you're now a trainer with the Center for Nonviolent Communication, how you heard about it, and then why you decided to, you know, propagate this important, the I feel, an important, um, you know, piece of, of work for worldwide, really. Yeah, well, thanks for asking. Um, I... Uh, first learned about nonviolent communication, I guess, about 20 years ago. Uh, and from the beginning, I thought, this is what I've been looking for. And, and I know mm. so many of us are having that experience in the world today. We're so lucky to live in this time of abundance when so many yes. people are looking for new ways of connecting with themselves and understanding their experience. And there's just so <laughs> much going on. So, um, I had been uh, very active in uh, peace and social justice causes and the women's movement and anti-racism movement for many, many years, since my teen years, actually. And when I was a little bit older, I got very involved, actually, in the Buddhist spiritual path, and my teacher is Vietnamese Buddhist Thich Nhat Hanh. And oh, yes. I was always looking... For, yeah, so I was always looking for ways to bring my inner... Uh, self-inquiry and my inner transformation together with, you know, the world and uh, nonviolent communication just presented itself to me. And I thought, this is it. This is the bridge. Mm. Uh, so, and, and just personally in my life, it was a time when uh, I really had a sense in my relationship with my partner and with my the rest of my family that I I just didn't really know how to reveal my feelings as you said and I was mm-hmm, keeping mm-hmm. it in I was keeping it in so nonviolent communication uh, really spoke to me and continues to speak to me as a way of bringing out what's inside um, so that's a yeah, little in a, short in a way that 
Exactly, in a way that people can, uh, it really fosters improved communication and sharing rather than this kind of, I find, either neediness or or judgment or, you know, just we, we were never really taught these things. And, and that's kind of one of my questions is like, is this being taught in schools or, you know what I mean, like in organized education at all? Uh, yes, and not enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, for example, as you may have seen from my website um, I've, and my blogs, I've been doing a lot of work uh, in other countries, in the Middle East, in Africa, in South America. And, uh, for example, in, in Israel, when the founder of nonviolent communication, Marshall Rosenberg, first went to Israel uh, more than 20 years ago, he was a guest of the Ministry of Education, and they started mm. actually having empathy uh, practice in every kindergarten class in Israel. So it did start, but I don't have a sense that it's continued. Um, and I think that's because what we're seeing more and more is that it's not enough for us to bring these trainings to individuals or to one teacher, to one parent. We have to figure out how to get this into the, the very structures in our world, you know, the structures mm. that are organizing life uh, and that are holding power. Um, that's, that's the way that I think transformation is going to really happen worldwide. Um, and, and I totally am part of this uh, movement that's full of passion to change individuals. I mean, we have to. We have to work on ourselves. And I think compassionate communication means saying to ourselves, we are trying to develop these compassionate models, like what you said, like being curious about what's going on with the child, right? We want to do that. We want to bring that love into the world. But if we don't have the support of the structures of, of the schools, of the structures of the workplaces, it's, it's never going to happen. I mean, right now, teachers don't have the time to stop and give that kind of one-on-one empathy to the children in their classes. Parents don't have the time to do that. Everybody's just trying to survive, and so we need to create institutions that are developed along the same uh, principles of the, saying the purpose of this institution is to provide care and compassion for a child. That's the only purpose. And wow. how do we organize the day around that? Um, <laughs> that would know, be that's, utopia. That's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, um, it's happening a little bit, from what I understand, in Costa Rica. Um, uh, an NBC trainer uh, took an application of NBC to Costa Rica um, and from what I hear, it is being taught in the schools, in every school in Costa Rica. Um, and I think it's interesting that Costa Rica is one of, I think, two countries in the world that doesn't have a military. <laughs> ah. So there's some, some connection, again, right, between the vision that the leaders have, the vision and commitment that the leaders have, and then what can happen one-on-one all the way down to the classroom. 
Mm. Well, I, I think I think that's really interesting what you've talked about, and in a, in a little minute we'll we'll have you give some examples. Um, but uh, I went recently to my medical school reunion, and it was a celebration of its hundredth uh, year. Um, you know, since the start, or when seventy fifth, sorry, seventy fifth year. And uh, what was fascinating is the key speaker, Brian Goldman, is a very famous radio show host now, an emergency room physician at Mount Sinai Hospital. And the whole keynote lecture was about empathy. And I was like floored. Uh, (laughs) I was like, whoa. And he has this book, you know, uh, and, um, you know, talking about, you know, why doctors have basically the secret code, the secret language of doctors. And it's like some of the the secret language is not very pleasant or nice to find out about. Like gomers, we used to call people gomers, and that's like get out of my emergency room because these were these were like people that were frequent flyers. And but he says let's look beyond the judgment. Let's see why are these doctors and nurses talking like that? And it's like they're stressed. They're not uh, getting what they need. They're under you know, under-rested, <laughs> and um, let's go beyond the judgment, go, well, you shouldn't be calling people gomers, you know, and just go, well, let's let's see, let's be empathetic to all involved. Yeah. And talking about yeah. some of the things they've put in place in uh, through the University of Ottawa, through their new humanities and medicine program, I was just floored. Like, I really wanted this in medical school. I really pushed for it. I was one of the weird people in class, you know, that, that was on the mm-hmm. curriculum committee trying to change the world trying to change, you know, how medical school was taught. And now to see, you know, 20-something years later that it's happening, that um, yeah. in, at an institutional level, this humanities and yeah. medicine program is now, you know, they have a sister um, a university in, in Shanghai that, you know, the teachers are continuing. I mean, of course, we still need a lot more, you know, skill sets there, but just the intention being there, I think you'd be pretty happy with, you know, if you had heard this lecture. <laughs> well, I'm thrilled to hear that, and uh, I would love for you to connect your your school and that project with uh, some of the, the trainers that we have. So, for example, I personally just came back from Botswana where I did this training with HIV doctors at the mm. Baylor Pediatric Clinic. And it was so incredible. Uh, You know, I I don't know if uh, people listening know, but Botswana, which is a a very historically peaceful and highly educated country in southern Africa, still has a 50% HIV infection rate. And I was called in to um, give empathy training to these doctors and counselors and who are working with children. It's a pediatric AIDS clinic. And the first session we worked on listening, just as you were talking about your example when you opened up, Karen, about listening to children. We, I, I worked first with these doctors on how do you listen to your patients and yes. um, starting to work through letting go of judgments when, for example, your teenage patient is telling you that he or she is no longer going to take the the uh, medication because they're tired of mm-hmm. it, you know. How do yep. you hear into that most painful message? How do you mm-hmm. hear their needs? How do you get yourself into a state of curiosity about what is it that's important to you that, that, that you're willing to risk your life? You know, and that's where we want to be. That's compassionate communication. What is it that's so important to you that you're doing something that's, going to jeopardize your life. What is it that's so important to you that you're doing something that's, that's going to kind of 
wow, really impact on what I've dedicated myself to. You know, so this is doctors and parents and teachers. This is how we want to listen. And what we saw very quickly is that there's no way we can listen like that until we fill our own empathy cups. So we spent the whole second session on working on how do we create a climate among the medical and counseling staff so that we're refilling each other's empathy cups. Because, right, there's no way you can listen to scary messages from other people and, and empathize with things that other people are saying when, when you're scared to hear what they're saying unless your own cup is completely full of empathy. So most of our nonviolent communication training will start with how do you fill your own empathy cup? And we, we study and learn a practice called self-empathy. And also we learn uh, more effective strategies for creating empathic uh, uh, outlets within our own community. So, so for example, at Baylor, um, I, I hope they're doing this. I'm waiting to hear the follow-up. They're setting aside times in their uh, staff room when people can go in there to get empathy really? and then go back out. Yeah, because otherwise you're going to want it from your patient or your child or your spouse or, you know, the very person that's triggering you so that you can't hear with empathy is where you want to get the empathy. That's that's the tragedy. We get so caught in that, right? Mm-hmm. So we need to create real sources and resources for us to get filled up. Um, so so I, I would love to bring this to uh, as schools, medical professionals, government people everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and and we're not we're not taught this. We're not taught this. No. Uh, it's really tragic. Um, and and. Yeah, I, I could go on, and I'll, I'll. What else do you want to hear? <laughs> well, that is, I'm excited about that, and uh, yes, I'll have to. Uh, I have an in at the university. I'm no longer, you know, since being graduated so many years, I'm no longer on the uh, curriculum committee. But uh, I, I worked for UCLA, um, you know, as an assistant professor, and uh, would love to be able to shift, you know, some or at least support some of the new kids coming through medical school, like I was supported by several, you know, um, very, very amazing, amazing mentors. And, I mean, some of the stuff I do is pretty woo-woo, so I'm not sure they're really thrilled (laughs) necessarily with some of the stuff I do, but um, I know that I know the kids would be (laughs) yeah, Um, Yeah. going through there, so that's exciting. Yeah, you know, and that brings me back to something uh, I was sharing a minute ago that, how do we create institutions that are of empathy and compassion? Um, and I, I've, I've read things that say that when uh, there are surveys of medical patients, right, when they're asked, you know, what would you like more of? Mm. Almost the universal response is better communication from the medical professionals, more compassion from the medical professionals, right? This is what the people you are servicing are asking for. Wow. So so what is it that prevents those systems from really taking that in? And what we call this in nonviolent communication is the creation of a needs-based system. 
So as you said earlier, nonviolent communication is based on hearing behind everybody's actions, behind everybody's judgments to what is it that this living being needs? You know, what what is the energy that's coming out, maybe in harsh, scary, unpleasant words? But behind it, there's this energy of life that we call needs, right? So if a child, if you say to your child, um, you know, clean up your room, and they say, no! If we want to practice compassionate communication, we put on these very special ears that we call giraffe ears. I think that's and this is a good it's a good expression for people to keep in mind. Put on your giraffe ears. And what we mean by that is listen the way a giraffe might listen with those perky little ears and that long neck and that big heart. Listen to what's behind that no. What does that child want? And then instead of like getting into a power struggle with them, saying, so is it that you'd like to play longer? Yes. Okay, I could get that. And then if you want to really take on this practice of compassionate communication, you have to say to yourself, you know, the order, the beauty, the efficiency that I want in asking this child to clean their room isn't any more important than his need for play and fun and maybe having a little bit of power in the decisions over him. You know, so that's compassionate communication is listening for my needs and the child's mm. needs and then being willing to create a system, a relationship, a plan with that child where everyone's needs are factored in. And this is the same thing we need in institutions. So if the patients in the medical system are saying, we want more empathy, we want more uh communication about what's going on. We want more support in making decisions. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is what people want. Well, why don't we create medical systems that that value that as much as anything else? And in the end, everybody's going to benefit, right? The more needs of every component of a community that we incorporate into our system, into our decision-making, into our relationships, the more everybody's going to thrive. I don't think anybody doubts that, right? Right, right. And the the thing is, it's just in our society, at least in the Western world, we have not put value. Uh, I mean, you know, in the West, a lot of it is about where, you know, follow the money trail, you know. (laughs) And, I mean, somebody, nobody's saying, oh, I'm going to prove to you, although I'm sure it can be proved, I'm going to prove to you that, focusing and putting it as an important thing. Empathy is uh, monetarily valuable to these corporations or whatever it is that's making decisions. But I know some people like I was just hearing, I think it was uh, Apple, um, they train their people. You could uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's Apple. They train their people to be good listeners. So the last time I had to call in uh, to talk about my iTunes or I couldn't figure out how to use my account to save my life. So I was like, okay, how do I, how do I pay for this with an iTunes card? I can't figure out which button to push. And the other person was like, Oh, that sounds like it could be frustrating. You know? And I was like, Whoa, they're doing that thing. That's kind of cool. You know? And they're like, Oh, it is my absolute, you know, it's uh, I absolutely want to fix this for you today. I want to make sure that you're happy at the end of this conversation. And I was like, wow, (laughs) that's pretty cool. (laughs) 
and your heart sings, and you're like, yeah. I'm going to keep calling Apple, and I'm going to keep buying Apple products because yeah. that's the experience I want. Yeah. And yeah. so, so we call this a needs-based system. So mm. the person answering the Apple phone, they want to know, what are your needs? And it's very mm-hmm. clear. Your need isn't just to get your iPhone fixed. Your need is for connection. Your need is for understanding. Your need is for empathy. People are stressed when, they, when they're calling Apple yep. and going into hospitals. So, so it's not only that we value empathy because there's something amazing about empathy. It's that we want to set up systems that are going to value all the needs that people enter into the system to meet. So people enter into the medical system or a, uh, you know, call-in online repair system to meet a multitude of needs. So the purpose of the system becomes, if we're using nonviolent communication, the purpose of the system is to meet all those needs, whatever they are. And why else do we need systems? I mean, I think this is what people are asking of our government, you know, I mean, I think this is behind a lot of the kind of so-called anti-government movements. People are like, we don't want a government that's just going to exist for people in Washington. We want a government that's going to exist to meet our needs, and I'm all in favor of that. Now, another principle that we say in nonviolent communication, which has very much to do with communicating compassionately, is that we say that conflict, does not occur on the level of the needs, okay, needs for empathy, needs for sustainability of a company or a medical system, needs for efficiency, right, needs for clarity. There's no conflict between empathy and efficiency and sustainability. Conflict only arises when we're dealing with the strategies to meet those needs. So if my strategy, right, if my strategy to meet my need, let's say, in the medical system, to meet my need for um, sustainability, financial sustainability, if my strategy is that doctors only have five minutes to talk to to the families of a patient, that strategy is in conflict with the need for empathy, okay? So what we want to do is develop strategies and this goes for institutions, this goes for, you know, our relationships with children and partners. We want to develop strategies that meet everyone's needs. And that is the slogan of nonviolent communication, right? A world that will value and meet everyone's needs. Mm. And we're very yeah. clear that it's, it's possible, it's doable when we learn to distinguish needs from the strategies to meet the needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely seems much more clear the way you've put it right now. Good, because, you know, I heard you say in your introduction, it's easy. I'm like, well, it's kind of easy and it's kind of not so easy um, because <laughs> we live, we, we, we've all been raised in uh, societies, cultures, ways of thinking that our, something is either good or bad, right yeah. or wrong. Yep, and duality. compassionate communication is turning that on its head and it's saying, actually, no. We don't want to look at things as good, bad, right, wrong. We want to look at them as what's going to meet your needs? Mm-hmm. Can we figure out a way to meet your needs 
in a way that's also going to meet my needs. Mm-hmm. And so another way of really, looking at this, is it working? You know, yeah. Is, 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 yeah. Is, is, it, is, it is it working, working for is both it, of us? Right. How's this is it working for evolving both of us? us? Yeah. yeah. And, and we want to always put in, how's this working for both of us? How's this yeah. working for everyone affected? So, so one of the principles of decision-making that I, I love, that I've learned in the nonviolent communication world is, can we create systems and relationships where everyone who is affected by a decision gets to participate in that decision. You know, and, and I'm about to start a four-week parenting class here in, in Asheville, North Carolina, uh, where I moved this year. And I want to present this to parents. You know, can you imagine stretching yourself as a parent to the point where you want to involve your child in every decision that's going to affect them. Mm-hmm. And not easy. I, <laughs> I, I don't think this is easy. It's much easier to say, hey, do what I say or you're going to be punished. Right. <laughs> and know, but, a lot of people have heard that growing up. Absolutely. You know, I do, do what I say. And it's like, well, you don't do that. Well, you do what I say, not as yeah. I do. Or I'm the parent here. Or you know, um, do it or else, or, you know, that's final. Um, that's right. You don't have a so, say in this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And in, in in the nonviolent communication world, we don't believe in punishment. We mm-hmm. believe in meeting needs. So I'm not espousing at all a, a parenting method, for example. I'm thinking about this parenting class, so I'm using that as an example right now. I I don't espouse uh, letting kids do whatever they want to do uh, with no uh, attention to the parents' needs or a teacher's needs. No. What I'm saying is can you as a parent, can you as a teacher acknowledge that you're holding power over this child? Can you acknowledge that you have power over this child? Right? Let's stop pretending that we don't have power. Mm-hmm. And then can you acknowledge that the child is going to see you as the holder of power and mm-hmm. that that is not going to generate a lot of empathy in the heart of that child, right? Mm. You know, let's, like, like, let's really look at the dynamics. So then how do we create a relationship with children, for example? But this could be just as much for doctors and patients. Yep. You know, this is everybody. There's hierarchy everywhere, right? How do we develop a relationship where we take on the responsibility of building trust that the other person's needs really matter. And the way to do that is to start involving them in the decisions that affect them. So when that child says, I don't want to clean up my room, exactly how you shared in the beginning of this call, you say, so what is it that you would love to do right now? Mm-hmm. And and then we have to give ourselves empathy and work on ourselves so that we're not afraid to ask that. We're not afraid to ask, well, what would you like to do? How would you like to do that? And what we do in our trainings is we look at, so what makes it hard to ask that? And there's so many things that make it hard to ask. You know, well, what would you like to do or what would make it hard <laughs> for you? Right. Yeah. We're afraid, number one, we're, number one, we're afraid that our needs will never be met and, and, right. and that we're going to end up, that we will then 
quote unquote, have to do what the other person wants, which is completely false, right? Mm-hmm. We're afraid to take responsibility. Yeah. But, but finding out what the other person's needs are doesn't mean that we have to do what they want us to do. It means that we're going to come in on a higher level of strategizing. We're going to then say, okay, so let's figure out how we can get that for you and get this for me. That's power to me. That's Mm. power. That's leadership. Uh, A lot of my trainings I call leadership training because this is like I'm going to take 100% responsibility 100% 100% for getting my needs met in this relationship, for getting my values on the table. That's leadership. So mm-hmm. part of my value is I want to include everybody, including me. So so that's the first thing, right? We're afraid to ask. We're afraid to get curious. What do you want, right? Because we're afraid it's going to mean that our needs are never going to be met, right? That, that we're going to abdicate all of our power. That's the first thing. And the second thing is we're afraid that we're going to reinforce some behavior or values that are really scary for us, right? So we're afraid to say that. Exactly, yeah. So, And this is universal in, in every relationship, in every system. You know, we're afraid that if we hear what's important to the other person and it's something that we've already decided really isn't wonderful, <laughs> We're afraid that somehow we're going to, right? We're, we're afraid that somehow we're going to reinforce. Yeah. And, and we're going to reinforce really bad, harmful things. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's valid, right? So we want to be able to hear what's important to another person in a different way, right? Not in a way that's going to compel us to give up what's important to us not in a way that's going to uh, uh, limit us to hearing it as uh, that, that we're reinforcing something that's bad. We have to learn to hear in another way. And that other way is exactly how you started this call, Karen. It's, so what's important to you? So if a teenager is like, can I have the keys to the car and stay out till 4 a.m.? I mean, this is something I hear all the time in my parenting classes. Oh, okay. So parents, so parents are afraid to say, well, you know, what would you like? Because they know the kids are already going to tell them something that the parent is afraid about. Right. 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 I want to take the car and, and uh, you know, go drinking with my friends, but don't worry, I'll be the designated driver. And, you know, the parent's just already, like, totally freaking out for very mm-hmm. good reasons. I mean, this is scary, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to be able to be... To really be curious about what's important to you about that and then to Mm. develop a relationship where we say, okay, so you want friendship and freedom, okay, and I want safety and Mm. I want to really feel confident that you're valuing safety the way I'm thinking about it. So how do Mm. we do both of those? So you include the child or include Mm -hmm. the patient or include your spouse, whoever it is, in the communication around what's important to both of you. And then you come up with a solution that's going to meet everybody's needs, which often involves giving, not exerting your power that you have, 
you know, that's that is true. Wow. Wow. But, and but if you, you just uh yeah. I just want to share uh, um if you're just uh, uh tuning in, I'm talking to Roberta Wall from the Center for Nonviolent Communication. We're talking about compassion and um compassionate communication and how we definitely need more of this in the world and how it starts with ourselves and some of the things that we can do on a practical basis to to really improve our communication and really be empathetic empathetic with ourselves as well. And if you'd like to call in and ask about your specific situation and maybe get some tips from Roberta, you can call in live now at 818-514-1190 and hit 1 so we know your hand is up. Again, the number is 818-514-1190 and hit 1. I also have the chat up as well. So if you are just listening online and not on the phone and you're from overseas, you can um, definitely, I'm trying to figure out how to use the chat because this is new for me, but um, you can go ahead and uh, type in your question or issue in the chat as well, and I'll uh, let Roberta know that you're there. Um, I do have a couple examples, Roberta, if you're willing to um, uh, help us out with these couple of examples. Oh, yes, I'd love to. Okay, great. Now this is um so this is uh, uh somebody who I know pretty well um and um they well actually a couple of them had the same problem cuz they're friends and so um they get very frustrated with um the local um kind of governmental um people that are in charge of putting the ice on in the oval and they have lost um two putting the what um, the ice in the ice rink. The uh, the local uh, oh. the uh, state authorities um, actually own the Olympic ice rink here in Lake Placid. And, uh, oh, okay. Yeah, the the skating oval um, is uh, you know from the 1980 and 32 Olympics, so it's it's you know a heritage kind of thing. And um, they had scheduled several competitions that they had to cancel because the state refused to put the ice on and there they were very upset about it because other countries and other states actually put theirs up outdoors as well even though the temperatures were on the warm side definitely here but even in other places that they were warm they still put the refrigeration on so they lost a lot of credibility i suppose you know from the people that signed up for these competitions i mean 75 people were going to come for the competition they had to cancel last minute because the ice wasn't up so both of my friends were very very frustrated and they felt completely powerless to do anything about it because this is like them against the state you know they could prove to the state that you know other people are doing it why aren't they and they you know made so much you know they made them lose you know so much money and investment and time in putting these competitions together and also the prestige of having it at the Olympic Village. I mean, it was just all this stuff. And so I could feel, just talking to my friends, I could feel the, the anger, you know, and frustration coming mm. from them. And I totally yeah. empathize that it's frustrating dealing with the state because it's like this this, this, or, this organization or lack of organization, depending on who you talk to, um, of a governmental body that it's not like a person, like a neighbor or, you know what I mean, like, they feel like powerless and they felt like there was nothing they could do. I mean, you know, I suggested, you know, maybe they could write to, you know, the powers that be and they're like, no, they'll just retaliate and we can't talk about it in the paper about, you know, how bad it's been because everyone's connected to everyone else and then they might retaliate against us. So there's a lot of fear there of retaliation. Huh. 
Um, and mm. so they feel really stuck. And I felt so bad like, for them. I could feel the mm-hmm. frustration and just curious, like how, you know, the nonviolent communication approach, what would it be the approach? Now, obviously they do have a person that they can talk to, but if this person decides that they're not going to do it, they're not going to do it. So how would they kind of use nonviolent communication to get both their needs met? Great uh, example of how do we use um, communication methods to advocate for ourselves and how do we use communication principles to, to create a new kind of relationship where people don't have to fear speaking out, right? Um, so mm-hmm. I would uh, recommend a, right off the bat a three-pronged approach here. Um, and, and, I, and I have, by the way, done a fair amount of things with activists uh, in many countries, as well as with different town boards and uh, on on just these issues. So the first thing is because you ended with saying that these people are have this fear of retaliation, right? Mm-hmm. That suggests to me that they need to learn to listen to the needs that the uh, the, the board, whoever made the decision the needs that the decision makers were trying to meet by making this decision. Mm-hmm. And this group of, of concerned activists or, uh, you know, whoever the, uh, what, what do you call the, uh, the group Athletic of Athletic organizers. Okay. So organizers need to do some work amongst themselves before they go and speak to the decision makers. Because the first thing they're going to have to do when they go to the decision makers is to hear the needs of the decision makers. And that's not going to be possible until the athletic athletic board people fill their own empathy cup, just like what Mm. I said before, right? So otherwise what happens is when they go to talk to the decision makers, their need for empathy is going to come out. They're going to be like, how did you do this? You know, don't you see what you're doing? And that's not going to lead to anything, right? So that's Ah. the great tragedy. Great tragedy is when we go to the very people who have already made it clear that they don't hear our needs. Right. (laughs) And we go to them them to get our... Yeah, exactly. So, So... I'm I'm defining empathy. I, I know there's many ways to define empathy, but in this situation, I'm defining empathy as a capacity to really hear and connect with the other person's experience, the other person's feelings and needs. So the decision makers have already made it clear that they're not connected to, they're not valuing in their decision the needs of, of this group for their reputation, you know, in the, in the worldwide competition, uh, for their hard work, for a, a slew of things, right? So we don't want to go to them for empathy. However, mm-hmm. if we go to them totally depleted from empathy, we won't hear their needs, and then we have the stalemate. That's what a stalemate mm-hmm. is. I don't hear That's your needs. I don't care. Yeah, I don't care about your needs. 
and you don't care about my needs. I don't care about your needs because you don't care about my needs. You don't yes. care about my needs. Be I mean, right? This is conflict. This is stalemate. Well, no, because you're looking. I mean, I, from I mean, I'm seeing it from their point of view. There's this big organization, and the judgment comes out. And if if I, I mean, not that they said this to my face, I could feel it. But it was it was more like they're lazy. Uh, they don't care. Um, it's exactly. all about politics. All this kind of judgment. Exactly. Um, right. And uh, and that's the attitude that's been for years between the two groups. Right. So um, so let me say here, I'm happy to send a worksheet to anybody who wants it who's listening to this show, uh, and and including you, of course, Karen. <laughs> yeah. Called it's called it's called a liberating your dream. So if your dream is uh, let's say to have this the ice put up on time, right? It's a worksheet that'll help you work through it and get to a solution that's going to meet the needs of everybody involved. Because just like you said, if the people who want the ice show go to the decision makers with this attitude that you know they're lazy, they don't care, they're whatever, they're bureaucrats, right? There's, there will never be connection. And nonviolent communication is about creating the quality of connection with people who I'm having a hard time doing that, right? Creating the quality of connection so that giving and receiving will be joyful for everyone. So the task of, of your friends is what kind of inner work do they need to do as a group to release all of their judgments, mm. reconnect with their needs so that they can go to the decision makers and say, we want to understand what your concerns are and we want to see if we can come up with a solution that will fully address your concerns. Fully. No mm-hmm. uh, compromise. We don't use that word. We're not interested in compromise here. Compromise means everybody ends up unhappy. That's mm-hmm. that's not the world that we're going for here. I don't like that word, actually. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. So, so, so let's imagine. It, it, do you want to work with this a little bit, or do you want to take more? Sure, calls? sure. Uh, okay, you want to work with it. All right. So let's imagine that um, we go to. We've done our work, our inner work to connect with, by the way, our our own needs and our own frustration and our own despair about this, our overwhelm, uh, our our just, uh, you know, everything that we're feeling. But we do this amongst ourselves, not with them, right? And we give each Mm -hmm. other empathy. Yeah, we really have this dream of of, of bringing competition here, of, of honoring the history of the Lake Placid Olympics by, you know, making this happen and all the things that go along with our dream. You know, we reconnect with that. And then we we connect with our sadness and our frustration, Mm -hmm. our anger, that that's not happening. So we have our own empathy circle. And out of that energy of empathy amongst ourselves, for ourselves, we come up with a plan for approaching the decision makers. And we don't approach the decision makers until we really have imagined what their needs are. Okay, so oh, I see. What so we, even if you don't yeah. know, you kind of imagine what they could be. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because because we can assume there's not a lot of trust between these two right. groups right now. Right. So <laughs> so we don't want to just go to them and say, "What are your needs?" 
right? And think about it. Like, like a, uh, let's say there's a conflict between spouses, right? And mm-hmm. one spouse has said, I can't stand it when you interfere with everything I want to do, right? Let's just say, okay, some of us have ever experienced this. So the other person doesn't want to go to them and say, so tell me what your problem is. I just told you what my problem is. I can't stand you interfering, right? right that's right. not going to that's not the most effective way. So you want that okay. the, the the person to think, so what is, what is it that they really want when they're, you know, yelling? <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. Oh, they want some more independence or autonomy or trust. And then you go and you make that guess. So when you were saying, don't don't tell me what to do, don't tell me how to make decisions, is it that you want more trust from me about the decisions you make? Yes. Right. So that's that's what we want to do. We want to, and this mm. is this is you know a, a whole training. And by right, the right. way, um, if, if you go to YouTube, there are hours of Marshall Rosenberg the founder of Nonviolent Communication, doing trainings in this. And you can get trained in this through YouTube. I mean, it's great to have a trainer. <laughs> and, there, and I actually, there are, I know a great trainer in Rochester. I don't know how far that is from Lake Placid, but mm-hmm. he would be fabulous at this. But Oh, know, good it, to know. About, I think yeah, five hours. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Wow. He's, he's great. really great. He's one of my We're colleagues. We're closer from to this. Montreal and Ottawa. Um, well, there are definitely, yeah, I know a trainer in Ottawa for sure. Um, okay. I'm not sure if the trainers, in, and there are trainers in Montreal, I'm not sure if they go into the U.S. to train. There's, there's something about crossing uh, the border oh, right, right, right. To, do, to do a training that raises, um, you know, legal issues. So I, I'm not yeah. sure. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But definitely ask me uh, to connect you or your friends with uh, trainers living nearby. Uh, but anyway, so, so let's imagine that we are this of uh, the athletic um, visionaries <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and we're doing our work and we're saying, so, well, what, what are the needs of the committee who said no? What are their needs? Can you make a few guesses, Karen? Like, what, what is it that is really important to the, the people who said, no, we can't do this? Um, well, I concerned? think that one thing they were saying about the weather, the weather's not cold enough, they said, mm-hmm. to do it. So I'm thinking maybe um, keeping their budget, like, you know, keeping their budget as low as possible because they're a state and they, you know, might get in trouble if they're overspending inappropriately. Mm-hmm. So they have limited resources and they're, and they're really worried, they're worried about their resource allocation. Yeah, I would say money would be uh, a big deal. One might be just um you know the 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 people uh that that they have that they might be unhappy if it's unsuccessful. If it doesn't work mm-hmm. out, they're going to be blamed. If the weather's mm-hmm. bad and the ice is bad, then they're going to look bad because they couldn't do it or they couldn't do it properly. So might as well just not do it at all and bl- and say it's okay. the weather. Yeah, so so there's some value there of of doing something right. If we're going to put something on at the Lake Placid ice rink, uh, we yep. want it to be really top notch. We want so so there's a value there of um, 
maybe integrity. That, upholding that, that equality, do. maybe that. I mean, yeah. I know my friends are probably poo-poo that idea, but I, <laughs> you know, um, given the judgments that have been flown flung across, but but I, I'm just assuming their position, and um, yeah. that that might be. And and I, you know, it's interesting because we had similar issues with my athletic uh, association with the same organization because we have figure skating, not uh, speed skating. And I prayed for the best come as far as who the board members were and, you know, who ended up getting uh, chosen. And it was really interesting what happened because it were the people, the people that did get chosen were the ones that were the, the, the smoothest, the ones that were not butting heads with the state that got chosen mm-hmm. and voted in. And I thought, well, gee, God must really think this is the best, you know. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I kind of went mm-hmm. with that, and but I was like putting them. I was putting you know myself in their shoes and going, well, what, what would it have been? Like, why would they say no, or why would this be a problem? Why couldn't they schedule this or that or whatever? And I'm thinking, well, if I was giving them the benefit of the doubt, I would say, um, just like a lot of other people, overwhelmed, overworked, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. underpaid. Um, they're state mm-hmm. workers. You know, they don't get listened to by their upper, you know, their upper people. Um, they just get told what to do, and do they ever get appreciated for what they wow. do? Wow. Yeah. And I'm thinking, well, everybody no. that I know, my patients yeah. that work for the state, they don't get appreciated. So I'm thinking, well, why do I think that these people should receive any better treatment? Yeah. So now you're really connecting with some beautiful core needs of of the people who said no. That maybe they want some appreciation and support. And 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 you said they they have this fear of of blame. You know, maybe they're you know they're really getting a lot of blame, and and they're not getting yeah. appreciation and appreciation for their efforts and appreciation for things that may go wrong, but they they want to be seen that they tried to do their best, right? Mm-hmm. So so it's with that those the eyes of the heart that you're now giving a voice to, that's the language we would want to go into the meeting with. Mm-hmm. Now it's if you if your group isn't at the point of doing that they're not ready to have the meeting. Right. And that's right. that's a hard that's a very hard thing to uh take in because there's some urgency here. But when we are so triggered by our own disappointment, yes. And then our judgments and thoughts about the other people, right? We can't really come from a place of empathy. We can't mm. connect in the way that we want to connect. It, it just doesn't happen. And we don't. So sometimes just, we don't even think it's possible. That's right, and that's another thing we need to give ourselves empathy for. I'm sure oh, in, in right. this small group, we'll be like, "They're never going to listen to us, and there's no time anyway. And what's the point?" So, so we give ourselves empathy by saying, "Yeah, we're feeling really hopeless and powerless." Just like what you said, Karen. Yeah, we're Mm -hmm. so frustrated. We really want to make this happen. And it's really upsetting. And and by the way, a whole other point, Karen, here is that we want to ask this system that's making decisions, if it was a needs-based system, 
it would never make a decision that didn't include the needs of all the people who want to use the rink. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a whole other issue, right? So remember I said in the beginning, three prongs. So the first prong in approaching this is that the people who want to go and advocate and negotiate with the government need to get together as a group and give themselves empathy and understand their own needs and, and, and really just let out their frustration, their hopelessness, their powerlessness, let that all out, their fear, and come up with their own needs through that process, right? So the first thing is just that the, the group of advocates have to give themselves empathy and identify their own feelings and needs so that they can then go to the the decision makers and hear the needs of the decision makers, which is the second prong, and have Mm -hmm. willingness to come up with solutions that are going to meet everybody's needs. Like they Mm -hmm. can't go to the the power holders and say, "We, we want a system that listens to our needs and they don't care about the needs of the decision makers. Right, right, just have and sh- and sh- and sh- and the idea of like, you know, shaming them is probably the worst idea. <laughs> Which I even I was very tempted, you know, to be like, why don't you do yeah. this? You know, like why don't you go to the paper and say how much money you lost and everything like that? But but it didn't feel like that was a good light decision uh, because again, that doesn't address their needs and maybe they have very good reasons that we don't really know about. Well. We always want to take out the maybe. They have good reasons. Mm -hmm. They are meeting needs that are important to them. And we want to create a relationship where we see the needs that are important to them and they see the needs that are important to us. And then we're going to come up with strategies that meet both sets of needs. Gotcha. The conflict is occurring here because everybody's mixing up needs and strategies. So, for example, Mm -hmm. money. Money, I would say, is a strategy, not a need, right? Mm. The strategy of saying, no, we can't open it, it'll cost too much. Okay, that's a strategy to protect some needs. We don't even know what the needs are. We don't know if it's them getting appreciation uh, as, as a group of decision makers, as you mentioned. We don't know if it's sustainability, we don't know what the needs are. So we want to do our work of releasing our judgments. And I have all kinds of worksheets I could send to you and to people who are listening. If you just email me, uh, we could give people my website. Um, I have worksheets on how to work through judgment so that you mm. can come up with your needs, on how to give yourself empathy on the spot so that you can be open to the other person's needs, okay? I mean, it's not easy. None of this is easy. And we're living in systems that don't give us the time or space to do this. So so we really have to have a strong intention to create connection. What is your your personal website uh, or your business website, uh, Roberta? Because I know we have less than a minute left live. Oh, darn. Okay. (laughs) We can keep going. I know. This is great. It's www.com. Steps, S-T-E-P-S, numeral two, peace, P-E-A-C-E dot com. So steps2peace.com. Um, and I also have a blog 
So if you want to write to me to get these worksheets, it would be info at sex2peace.com. Um, but I just want to throw in, so remember I said three prongs for this group. The first one is they get together amongst themselves and give themselves empathy and really connect with their needs so that they can open to the needs of the decision makers. Then the second one would be going to the decision makers with the willingness and intention of connecting with their needs and coming up with solutions that will meet everybody's needs. And the third prong is our long-term goal that we have to start working on now of creating needs-based systems so that decisions aren't made that don't factor in the needs of the, the people organizing events for the rink, the public, right? We need mm. to get back to creating needs-based systems. Systems were formed, the needs of everybody involved in them. But then over time, the systems evolved away from that, and now they tend to just meet the needs of one part of the system. You know, usually the, the I don't know, who could be the people who, yeah, exactly. So three-pronged approach um, and, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to take uh, emails from people and to continue this dialogue. So uh, oh, that is so awesome, wonderful Roberta. talking to you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah, this has been great. Um, and that's, uh, I mean, that was the most kind of most, uh, that, that situation was the most um, volatile, I would say, that uh, that I have come up with this past week that just popped into the top of my head. So, well, these people could definitely use some help. So thank you so much. It's great to have a real-life example, you know, in addition to some of the stuff we talked about earlier, and you just put that into, into practice. Um, and thank you also, too, for letting people know about all the wonderful YouTube videos that are out there. Uh, people want to study this more. I think it's so crucial, like you said, and even if we just, you know, work on our own families or ourselves or whatever, um, it is so, I found it so incredibly valuable. So again, thank you so much, Roberta, for your time and the work you do. Thank you, Karen, and I hope we stay in touch. All right, we will. (laughs) Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening in. Thank you, Roberta. Bye for now. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.